Welcome to the second episode of Wagging Tails Podcast. On this episode, we have Samantha, who is the owner and the operator for welfare for our community dogs. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Sam, before we go on, I just want to ask, why do you have community dogs rather than street dogs as your, you know, title? Well, very simply, they, these dogs are part of the community, right? They're not, yeah, they're literally on the streets. But I would say that with all, you know, over the years, people have come to realize that these dogs, they, they're everywhere. They're not just on the streets. They are in the forest, they're in the parks, and they're, you know, they're, they're integrating into the society, not by choice, right? You know, the forest, I mean, their homes are getting taken away from them and things like that. So they come out, look for food, trying to integrate with the community. It's like cats, right? They're part of the community. People feed them, they love them, they adopt them, and then they become ours. So they start with the community, and then they come into our homes. So cats, community cats, community dogs, now they're the same thing. So Sam, tell us more about what do you do for the community dogs? Okay, so basically we do a whole, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, ranging from feeding to rescuing. But I think what sets me apart from you know, other groups or, or welfare groups for that matter is that we fight for the smallest things. So for example, we have a bunch of dogs in the north that have been disturbed by a bunch of cyclists, a bunch of motorists. Um, so I liaised with like LTA, SLA and got them road signs fixed up. Um, sometimes we deal with the traffic police and get cameras up for monitoring purposes, depending. Um, so these are the things that we go like a little bit more beyond. I would set myself apart from the other welfare groups in that sense that we literally fight for the welfare of the community dog in every sense of the word. So I actually have seen quite a lot of these stories with cyclists in particular, and uh, it's always the same old story: the human demonising the animal. Of course, you know it doesn't matter what the animal is; it's always the animal's fault. Um, before I talk a little bit about that, can I just hear a little bit about what sort of situations have you? had to deal with a specific situation which created the need to actually deal with the traffic police and the LTA. Right. So specifically, without mentioning the location, a very, you know, um, a secluded part of the north uh, where they were, which came to my attention, of course, where there were these motorists who were doing a, like a pasigudang thing. You know, pasigudang is, uh, if you're not familiar, it's like a little motoring kind of race going up the slopes, coming down with, with, funny-looking, weird um, tyres. and I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm just trying to keep this as <laughs> nice as possible, but that's really what it is. So it disturbs the dogs. Not just the dogs, the wild boars, the monkeys, all our wildlife, but more our dogs because they reside there. And we go there and feed daily and we witness all this. They will come around and they will just ram the bites, you know, to have that. Just to, that scares the crap out of the dogs. They will literally run into the forest. And that's not what we want because when we come, we want to feed them because what we're having here is conflict. We have food for the dogs. The wild boars come eat it. Monkeys come eat it. So my style is I make sure that I see the dogs eat them. And with all these distractions, it really makes things really quite difficult for us, for feeders, to do, go about and do what we want to do. So one thing you mentioned there that I found quite interesting was about the... Weird tires, the revving of the engines, and all that stuff. Now, I know humans 
can be very self-entitled about this sort of thing and they think, no, it's our road and we can do what we like. But just to see this from the dog's point of view is um, they don't understand what these people are doing. So it triggers the dog's fear response, putting them into freeze, flight or fight. Now the problem is there is that these guys are living on the streets, these community dogs. They don't have a very large freeze response because it doesn't serve them well. So that leaves freeze is gone. So they've got a flight and they've got a fight. Now, if those bikes, whether they be cyclists or motorbikes or cars or doesn't matter which, if they get too close to a food source or to puppies or to a territorial area which they see as a need to be protected, they take away that flight response as well, leaving a fight. So when I've seen these uh, stories, effectively, of cyclists and motorbikes being chased by dogs, well, do you know what? If somebody went right by my house and my daughter was playing outside in the garden and they were speeding past on a motorbike, sure as hell I'm going to have something to say about it. And these dogs are just doing that. So I know this is not exactly what we're talking about, but I do feel it's important for the public to understand that these dogs are doing exactly what comes naturally to them. And when we go to these secluded areas, especially, it's down to the human to show respect for where these dogs are living. Or else, if we take that away from them, they will come and live on our streets. And that presents more of a conflict, which could become a problem more so, rather than then just chasing the odd bike or two. So, with that in mind, what have you actually done, other than like getting a street sign up and things like that, to help the cyclists so the bikers know exactly what they need to do differently? So, for, let's just go to cyclists first. So, I've gone on this group called the SGPCN Cyclists. I've made friends with the admin. So, that's like the Singapore cycling... Yeah, like the, yeah, like the, like the news and the knows and the hows and the who's are on that page. Okay. You know, from the Apit with the putting corrupt bicycle to the bros with the $5,000 bikes, you know. So, everything, everything frequent, from the fancy road yeah, bikes to like to the, the makeshift the, yeah, homemade Yeah, to stuff. the alas, right? To the ala bikes um, <laughs> with baskets and what have you. So, these people are going into territories like Pasiris, for example, is a very good example. Lorong Halus, this so, is now new. Before you yeah. go on about that, just for people that don't live in Singapore and don't know, Pasiris is... On the extreme east. End. Extreme east, but it's only fairly recently in the last sort of 20 years that that's actually become developed. Yeah. Before then, it was really forest. just part of the forest, part of the jungle. Yeah. Come and then forest. now they, they've, yeah, they've actually made that into cyclable path okay. and roads. Um, so it leads to the jetty as well. We've got the jetty at the corner, which not everybody goes to. So you might not know about it, but it is a pretty secluded part and now not so secluded because the PCNs are getting, you know, made for people to cycle through and walk through. So a lot of human traffic now as compared to what the dogs were used to way back then. Yeah, but you could also argue in that case that it's not necessarily the people that are actually disrupt, disturbing the dogs because the infrastructure has been put in place there by... I would always, always, and I use this word blame, the government agencies because number one, URA and all, all these people are the ones who plan, right? When you plan, okay, I'm going to destroy this part, I'm going to make this a pathway. These are the people that make it happen. Not mm. us, the humans, like walking, who are even cycling or walking. We're not the ones who made the rules and, and decided to go on that path. It was created for us by, by the government agencies. 
So what I would go back to and say, and, and you know, this is just me. If you've seen me commenting on these kind of posts where, where the wobbles come out, they, you know, and all that, I would always say, who are we blaming here? Not the dogs, not the wild boars, not even the pedestrians or not even the cyclists. Who are we blaming here? The people who made this happen. The government agencies. You guys know who that is. I don't have to call them out, but you know, you know who they are. So I would always say, you know, when you wanted to create this place for the humans to, to, to enjoy, did you even think of the wildlife? Where would they go? What would they do? Yeah, because we're not, although we're talking about the community dogs right now, that's not all. Yeah, it's, being it's not being affected. Yeah, they, yeah. It's, it's even the hornbills, right? The birds, the ones that don't even, you've never seen them, but recently the hornbills have been on my condo and perched on my balcony. Yeah. I've never even seen them before in my entire life. I was like, what is this bird? It's a beautiful bird, but where did it come from? And every, all the birds are coming out. This, you know, the monitor lizards, the squirrels, the, all these beautiful, you know, the kingfisher birds and otters. For, for, for one, they're all coming out into our... And then people will say, oh, you come eat my koi fish. Right? Yeah. But what, who ate your koi fish? Why did I come all the way here eat your koi fish? Number one, your koi fish, what are doing down there? Right? Number two, you took my habitat away. I had to come out. I don't have anywhere else to go. So again, for people that don't know, there's this big thing about the otters in Singapore. Their habitats have become smaller and smaller and smaller. And the thing about otters, which a lot of people don't realise, is they require a lot of territory... Mm-hmm. Just for one family. Yeah, perfect. Like the Zukis and the Bishan Park yeah, otters. So and the, that, yeah. In Singapore, you've got a lot of different otter families um, which are around. So it means that these otters have basically been... Chased out, right? Chased out, but they're, they're, they're more doing smashing grabs. Yeah, they, they're just doing otters, basically, yeah. right? So they're like there. It's breaking, just what it is. breaking into people's gardens. Yeah, because they, they can smell fish. the beautiful 10,000 koi fish that they have and, you know, forgive them for... For, they're just looking for, it's like us looking for food. Yeah. It's just, they, they, don't, they don't eat satays and they don't eat, you know, things that you can find. Yeah, they, they can't just go to McDonald's. Yeah, they can't just go to the kopitiam also to just whack the, the hofan or whatever that's left yeah. out. That the other animals can, like the wild boars, can devour. Yeah. Right? So literally, they're just looking for fish. So that was another interesting point there is that people get upset about the wild boars coming to... Exactly. Like food centres and going to the back of restaurants. Do you know what's sad shops? about that? They get euthanised by NPARCs. Just for yeah. doing that. So the national parks actually... Yeah, and parks comes in, euthanizes. Oh no, I'm sorry. It's uh, humanely euthanized. There's no such thing as humanely. Euthanized means euthanized. Okay, you can't brutally euthanize, can you? You can, but you Right? Can't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and parks say, I brutally yeah, euthanize. No, of course not. Of course no they're going to use the word humanly, humanely euthanized, but that's BS, right? There's no such thing as humanely. You just euthanize an animal for just coming into a space or that was once theirs. Animal. No, for just once was theirs. Pongol, Pasiris, it was once their home. We yeah. literally invaded their home. And how dare we say, take them, cull them. That's the word that is used on the Singapore Wildlife Sightings page very often. Cull. cull them. And then I would say, no, you know what? Just do that to yourself. Thank you very much. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, so it's, yeah. It kind of sounds like the Singapore street dogs or the community dogs are facing the same problem that wildlife is throughout the world. Exactly, but it's just that the, our community dogs are more in your face. You know, some of them well, are friendly, yeah. they will come right to people. They, and They are dogs. Yes. So, I mean, I won't go down this rabbit hole do, too deep, but the reason that wildlife don't come up to you is because it doesn't serve their purpose. Domesticated dogs, and although these dogs are community dogs, or street dogs, or jungle dogs, 
These guys come from domesticated dogs. They don't come, they're not wild dogs, mm. they're not wolves. You're they're not feral. Yeah. Yeah. So they still come towards people because that benefits them somewhat. For food. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But you guys go up and feed the dogs, the dogs go to you yeah. because it benefits them. So it's more in your face. But the basic issue here is that we're taking away the land that they have been living on. Whether you're talking about wild boars, the birds, the cats. I mean, when I take the dogs I walk where I live, I come across civet cats. Mm. They but should you be never living... knew existed, right? I mean, in our face. They're never in your face. I mean, they're... They were in the forest. Yeah. You knew they existed. You but just never had Because the a... forest habitat's getting smaller, you start to see them out and... We never so... had the pleasure of... Of exactly. the beautifulness of these wild animals until now when all the land's taken away. Exactly. Which Same is goes for the dogs. a weird thing because it means that you do get to enjoy them, but at what cost? Whose expense? Okay, so to come back around, so how did you end up, or what was done in the end for these street dogs, community dogs? Okay, so like I said, we put, so I got in touch with the admin. We did a nice um, little like do's and don'ts. If you see a uh, community dog, what should you do? What should you not do? So that was posted up. It was very nice of them. It was posted up on the um, page. They pinned it on the page so people kind of like refer to it. And I've seen that, that goodness, right? If that's such a word. That because when there were stories again or posts about it, people went, didn't someone already say not to do that? Didn't someone already say not to do that? And then you, you Bodo person still doing that? And then you'll be like, so we get more traction in positive way now. If you notice the piece, uh, anybody who says anything about the community dogs, Samantha will definitely come in there. And mm-hmm. I will have support. So that was, that's, a, that's a good thing. And then the second thing we did also is, um, literally I worked with SLA. and um, SLA? Yeah, Singapore Land Authority. For those motorbikers, because I mentioned cyclists and motorbikers, that place is now not able to go. No motorbike can go into that place anymore. Oh, that's they great. have coordinated off. And there's cameras now to monitor anyone who dares defy and do a pasi gudang for me. So, so it's not happening there. So the dogs are, it's quiet. It's beautiful now. It's very safe for them. Um, and that was a couple of months back and we've been very blessed and very grateful to the government agencies in this stance. We've also worked with NPARPs to make sure that people are not feeding the wild boars because that also screws up our feeding. The wild boars comes and fights for the food meant for the dogs. So wait, there were people feeding the wild boars? Yes, of course. Why? I, I don't know. They, maybe they, 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 they love wildlife. I don't know. You know they, okay. they, because sometimes the wild boars are poor thing. No one oh. feeds them and then they're scavenging for food. Have you seen how they scavenge for food? Like, it's yeah. quite sad as well. As much as I, I want to protect my dogs, it's a, it's a, bro- a double edged sword. This is yeah. really. The, the thing is to remember there is that wild boars are actually wild animals. They're not strays. Well, tell it to the feeders. Well, I can. Basically, the wild boars are designed to scavenge, to forage. And the thing is there is that when you start to feed them, all you're, it's like feeding monkeys. The monkeys don't need to be fed. But people are doing the same thing. Exactly, but that's dangerous. I know. And you know what, what you did with the bikers, with the motorbikes, you're actually making it safer for them because the community dogs, yeah, they might, they might get a bite in every now and then, but a wild boar, that's not just going to be a bite. Yeah, they, we've seen some posts about how the wild boars have injured people, right? Yeah, badly. Um, badly those wounded. people are lucky. Yeah, and yeah. It, because this is their territory. You're coming into my territory, you're going to get it. So, I mean, of course, because I do welfare for the community dogs, so of course, in my back of my mind, the community dogs is on priority. But that doesn't mean that we just screw the wildlife. It's just, no, they're still living beings, right? Yeah, but it's, it's important that we understand what each 
animal needs. So the feeders, so that's what, that's where I went to end pups and like, you know what, we need to stop these people from feeding. Because otherwise, it gets crazy. It was crazy at one time, it was wobbles all over, the dogs were there and then the monkeys, it was like a zoo gone wrong. Well, the problem there is that when you put dogs in particular, now I'll just talk about the dogs, that's what I know. If you put those dogs in that position, yes, of course, in the early days, the dogs are not going to turn up very good. You know, the, the wild boars will be the ones that are going to do more damage to the dogs. The monkeys will be the ones doing more damage to the dogs. How's that going to look in 20, 30, 40 generations' time? You're going to have these street dogs, these community dogs, that are now even more difficult to rehome. The puppies of those dogs will be even more difficult to rehome because now they're a different dog. Now they're different animals. They adapt. They adapt. Exactly. That's exactly what would have happened. Exactly. So, so these are the little things that I do to ensure the welfare of the community dogs. But we're also looking at, we're also thinking of the wild living beings that are around there, which is the wildlife. So these are the things that help to kind of like make the situation so much better now. That's great. You know. Okay, so Sam, tell me, what do you feed our community dogs? Um, I, I, I cook rice, means pork, means chicken. Um, and I, I make broth for them as well. And I do give them kibbles because some of the kibbles are quite good, very nutritious. Yeah. So, but that's me. Don't hold me against, not all feeders feed the same thing. Of course. Um, but that's, so I put a lot of time uh, into the 40 dogs that I feed every night. Okay, so why, why did you um, pick rice and the mince and the kibbles? And Number particularly one, that brand of kibbles? Uh, because it's cheaper to do that. A right. uh, bag of kibbles cost me $60. And that only feeds like, what, three days? Okay. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm just an average person with a full-time job. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't ask for donations on my page. I don't. Um, so everything comes out of my own pocket. And now and then I have really kind people on my members on my page who say, hey, Sam, can I donate $50? You know, and that helps. I buy like meat. I go to foodie and buy meat for them. And then I boil the meat for there. So it's a bit cheaper because it's frozen. Um, and, and I, you know, I try my very best to just keep this going. I've been doing this since 2017. Wow. So it's been good so far. I've been have, I have very, very kind, compassionate people on the group who are very regular with different donations. Sometimes they buy kibble, sometimes they buy me rice, sometimes they buy... It's not, it's not consistent, of course. You can't expect people to be doing this all the time. Yeah. But at least we have kind, compassionate people now and then, it helps. You say that, but you're doing this all the time. I know, but I love doing it. Right. It's a passion. For me, it's a passion. It's not something that I have to do. It's just I want to, to do, do it. Okay. So on your page, do you sort of coordinate with the other feeders throughout the island? No. So I do this literally. I run this group as my description in the page says, I literally run it alone. I do the rescue work alone. I do. But I've been blessed to have met some feeders along the way in the location. So I say, oh, okay, what days are you feeding? You feed on Monday, Tuesday, Oh, okay, then I'll feed Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, you only feed the weekends? Okay, I'll take the weekdays. So it really lessens my burden when I make friends and then, you know, I talk to people and there are really, really wonderful, wonderful feeders out there who come with trolleys and talk about aunties, like 80 years old, kind of aunties, not, not youngsters. Yeah, you know, I know, I've worked with a couple of people beautiful, with, yes. with their dogs. So like people that have got their own dogs that they've rescued from the streets or puppies from dogs that were on the streets and they needed behavioural help and that's perfectly normal. But then I would notice there was one, well, the two ladies in particular that I'm thinking of, they actually had hired helpers, domestic helpers, specifically to cook for these dogs. Mm -hmm. So there's like been like two or three 
helpers being hired specifically to cook for dogs every single day and then distribute it. Some of, some of these people are blessed. They are able to afford helpers. But some of yeah. them, I don't have a helper. Yeah. And so a lot of feeders that I know don't have. So after work, we scramble with our own family commitments, right? And then we pack and then to the night. So my feeding times are like from 8 to 11 at night, every night. Mm-hmm. And then I'm blessed to find like some feeders who say, oh, don't worry about it. You're doing every night. Just let me do the weekends because I'm not working. I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, you know, when, we, when I meet these kind of people, it's really, really so, so nice to see that People want to help each other for the same goal, to feed the community dogs. I mean, absolutely. But I mean, that's a really long night. And you also work during the morning. So I why, do. why do you do that? Like, what drives you? So first of all, um, I started this whole thing because there was a cat-dog conflict in Tampanese. And the people who were supposed to be helping didn't help. So I stepped in and I had a coffee shop chat with the Malays. Really beautiful. Very, very nice people. I mean, we're all, we want to do what's best for our animals. So they wanted the best for their cats. And I wanted the best for my dogs. What was the thing that was to do? Sit down, compromise, and have a peace talk. Rather than posting negative stuff on social media, what does that do? Nothing. It just, it just gaslights, gaslights, it makes it worse. And in the end, who suffers? The cats and the dogs. So the people who are supposed to be doing this, the organizations don't. They don't step up. So it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter who does it, as long as somebody does it. And I was happy to step up. So that's how it all started. And then it became, oh, Tampanese. Oh, then there's Pasiris, there's some dogs. Oh, temp- there's Pasiris. Oh, but then I have some dogs now in, in, in the part of North that, you know, I, that about 10 of them that need skinny and need help. So I shuttle, right, from Pasiris, Tampanese, and I scoop over to the North, far end of the North. So it takes so much time to travel. It's not the feeding time that takes time. It's the traveling time that takes time. But I do it, you know, in a heartbeat. Okay, so Sam, can you tell us more about the cost of doing something like this seven days a week, what, 8 to 11 p.m. every day? I would say um, $200 a week if I do rice and kibbles. If I go full-on kibbles, it's like 400 a week. And if you add the meat? Uh, yeah, I would say a monthly, I would say sometimes even 1000 A 1000 a Yeah, wow. $1,000 a that's, month. That's quite a Because sometimes at like Chinese New Year, I'll get them special. So I'll, I'll have my friend, I have a friend who bakes like for dogs. So she'll do like um, a sweet potato cake. Nice. You know, with, uh, with, with um, like some Chinese words with the ingots with um, uh, turmeric colouring, you know, that kind of thing. So mm. I, I spent a bit more, like in Christmas, they had like roast, I would make, I, I bought a turkey, but I don't marinate it, of but course. I roast it. So they get the, you know, the crispiness of the, the turkey. Skin. Yeah, that's something that the meat is different. So I, for occasions, I would, I would do something a little bit more pricey, a bit more expensive. Yeah, and I buy them sometimes dehydrated treats. Uh, from the from my friend who does that all oh, like crocodile meat dehydrated so like just treats especially new dogs that I meet I need them to you know like me like come Get to me condition them yeah, yeah. so that extra brings, treats yeah yeah sorry that actually brings me to my next point can you describe more about the behaviors from start to finish right so we do have very 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 skittish ones who will scoot the moment they see me I come out with the packets and they'll just scoot like and you won't even see them. <laughs> yep. So what we do is I will put the packets there. So we have to be very uh, responsible feeders. And Parks makes this a very big thing. And NEA as well. Do not litter the place. When you feed the dogs, pack it up, you know, maybe not immediate, but come back a couple hours later, pick it up, throw it away, you know, be responsible feeders. And it's also, it, it invites rodents, cockroaches, rats, whatever. So we have to really be very responsible feeders for the good, because you know that rat, they have diseases now that affects our dogs. We have had dogs that, that have died due to, you know, all that. So, um, 
skittish ones skittish yes and we also have I've never met aggressive ones but a bit more territorial I would say so they will come with low growls and, you know things like that so I mean I've done this for so long I know how to react to this kind of so we have the upscale we have the really easy ones will come with the waggy tails and we have the ones that will just come and they will like be full on like with a bit of growl so you know we have a combination of a whole, whole lot yeah so that actually um, proves our point when we talk about uh, dog training a lot the behavioral sciences behind especially a lot of our community dogs so as some of you at home you might have your own Singapore special and stuff like that Yay. they display the exact same behaviours that what Sam just described most of them can be skittish most of them might be territorial and in the form of low growls and stuff like that so it's not it's not something that it's they learned it's something that's built into them mm. Yes. They did this, they are like this because they have to survive. This is the only way yeah. they know how. Behavioral instincts for survival. Right? And that's where you guys come in because we, we take them from the streets, we send them for training. You know, to make them a little bit more domesticated because it has been proven. And you guys have done so many dogs and you have, it's been proven that they can be rehabilitated. They of can course. be. With, of course, you need the right owners. You can't yeah. just have someone who says, okay, take my dog, rehab it. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So, same for these dogs. They come like that, but they, you know, they go through a little transition, which is you guys, and then they come up to be beautiful dogs. I mean, as we're recording this, we've got one just lying over I there know. that's not moved. <laughs> he hasn't moved since we, we started this whole thing, which is a couple hours back, he hasn't moved at all. To be fair, Aramis is uh, ridiculously chilled out, so you're <laughs> special. Yeah, he's now on his um, side. He was on his, his front, front earlier just but now. It's interesting. So this is something that I will want to try and bring somebody on to talk about at one stage. But you've been doing this for a long time. Have you seen the behaviour become more skittish over the years? Because there's a, an interesting point about the street dogs, and this was not done just on Singapore, this was done throughout Southeast Asia, that the longer you have a community of street dogs, the more their genetics start to change to be more wild, almost. So they start to become more skittish because being towards people doesn't hold as much value as it once did. So the truck coming down the road doesn't care how that dog's acting. It's going to hit them whether they're there or not. Yes. You know, so the dogs become more likely to run away rather than approach. Is this something you've noticed? or um, your Yes methods? and no. Yes uh, and no because... Um, some of these dogs may have come from, example, fish farms where they are locked up, for example, during the day and only let out at night. So they will, they will magnify a different kind of behavior, right? It's like, I'm wild and free from like nine at night to nine in the morning. I'm allowed to roam. The gates are open. I'm just allowed to roam and find for my own food, right? So I'm like, yay, hello, hello, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi. And then the ones that are like not allowed to roam at all and the gate accidentally opens, those are the fierce ones, right? They'll come right for you. And the ones who are being abused by these fish farm owners are the ones who will be skittish because one hand raised it means a whack is coming. So the moment I put my hand up to take a packet of food from the car or whatever it is, as long as I raise my hand up, an action that triggers the memory of the kind of abuse, um, abuse or the kind of love and in inverted commas that they get from where they come from or where they are being stored or kept, reflects the kind of actions I will see when I feed them. That makes sense. So I guess it's difficult for you to really see that because 
They come from quite a wide range. Some of them will be dogs that live in the forest. Some of them have been on fish farms. Some of them at like nurseries. Or abandoned for or them. Abandoned, yeah. yeah. Somebody who was somebody's dog. So those are the ones that you say, paw, and they'll give you a paw. Then you'll be like, oh my God, this came from someone's house. Yeah. So I guess that does make it kind of tough. It also makes it kind of more heartbreaking. Well, these are the ones I saved straight away. Yeah. You know, I, not, without away. a hard, I'll call SPCA or I'll liaise with NPAS. I said, you know what, I have this dog. This, 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 this. I'll give them a rundown. And then we'll help. Together with them, I work. And then we'll... And that makes sense. It's a difficult thing to do because a lot of people are like, well, why can't you just help all the dogs? Well, some of the dogs that were born in the forest and raised in the forest, they don't need as much help as a dog that was born in a shelter then adopted by somebody irresponsible. They ended up now on the street. And although they've got the genetics, they've got no practical experience. They have no survival instinct. Yeah. They, they cannot survive nutrient. there outside. You, I will see them with wounds inflicted by maybe another pack of dogs, another group of dogs, or I see them too skinny. They don't know how to fight for food. They only know how to empty a dustbin. How many dustbins are there on the streets of, for example, Crunchy? How many uh, dustbins with food? Because that's all they know how to do, empty dustbins. Yep. They and don't know th- how to... And for those that don't know, those areas are like very, very isolated areas where there's not going to be very much... Or not even a feeder in sight. Yeah. Like what I do is when I see someone or another post or somebody will attack me, Sam, can you help? So I would go, like Sungai Bulo or whatever, these kind of places that people don't normally go, but I would go because someone told me there are skinny dogs there. And then it becomes my feeding place, for example. So... To move back to the authorities, because earlier on you spoke about dealing with NParks and LTA and all those government organisations, but what sort of work do you do with NParks for preparation rather than reactivity towards a certain instant? And is there anybody else that you work with? So um, I've, been, I've been very blessed that uh, NParks you know, wants to work with a member of public like myself, even though I think they see what I do. You know, um, people who, who know me or who, who have come across or who've come in contact with me or my work, they know what I've done and I do it alone. So I think I've earned some, you know, brownie points or graces with, with, with people in general, not just organisations, but with people. And they, that's why they donate, right? They want to they wanna chip in for this and that and small little things. And NPAPS is a, it's a very great organisation. Um, and they've been very kind to help step up to, you know, of course, where, where, where it's possible, where their bandwidth allows. Um, they have been very, very supportive. I must give them, I always, I always credit NPAPS. Credit, I credit credit where credit's due, okay, mm-hmm. to be fair to, you know, in general. And um, so we have, uh, we, we talk about a lot of things, like sometimes I say, oh, I have this little problem here, this is this, what's your best, what can you advise me, what's a good thing to do, being the governing, you know, they are the body that, well, that takes care of the welfare of our, our, our community animals. So it is only right that I go to them and ask for advice on what can be done, what's legal, what's not, you know, and then I, from there, I decide, okay, what do I want to do? How can you help me help them? Mm-hmm. Them meaning the community dogs. And SPCA, in my opinion, is probably the best animal welfare group we have here. So is that the only animal welfare group that you really work yes, with? Yes, I do because um, I, they have, uh, they, they, I think they work with their heart. I think that's what's important for me. Mm. It's, uh, uh, we don't deal with politics or human behaviour or anything like that. Our, our goal is always what is the bottom line, what is the welfare? If we're going to do this, so how are we helping the dogs? If we do this, how are we helping the dogs? The dogs always pop up in our conversations. Never humans, never anything else. Just 
How are we going to help? If we do this, what's, gonna, what's the cause and effect for the dogs? Mm. Every single time. Dogs, dogs, dogs. So I, for me, that's why I work with SPCA. Because we have, the common, we have a common goal. Yeah. Our, our hearts are always in it. So, I mean, I do a lot of work with a number of different animal welfare groups. But, of course, I work on the rehabilitation after rehoming. So it is a little bit different. Yeah. But what exactly do you do with SPCA with regard to the community dogs? Yeah, so, for example, I do TNRM, if you know. So TNRM is a trap, neuter. So, okay, let me just make this very clear. T for Thailand, R for Russia, N for Norway, and for Malaysia. T NRM, TNRM, okay? So that means we trap, we neuter them because neutering stops the population from increasing, which is what we want. Even though we're missing little puppies around, but we miss all that. It has to be, the population has to be decreased in that sense, yeah. okay? So that's where the neutering comes in. Then there is rehab, where you guys come in. Mm-hmm. There is rehome, where we have even independent rescuers who actually rehome, independent rescuers, independent feeders who do the rehoming. Uh, of course, we will seek SPCA's help when yeah. all else is, uh, you know, failing and we are because short of. Because we don't, get, number one, we're doing this out of our own pockets, our own time. Unlike the animal welfare groups, they are being paid to do it. They have the bandwidth to do it. They have a team to help. We do everything on our own. But we've also got to be aware that what I've experienced with some independent rehomers mm-hmm. is, yes, of course, now and again, you get very good ones. But generally, when I've come across independent rehomings, I end up working with adopters that are incredibly ill-equipped to mm. have a dog mm. with behavioural problems. And that's a big concern of mine, to be honest. I, I, I'm hearing you. And I, um, while I can't speak for, while I can't speak for every single rehomer, I do need to put this out there, that these rehomers are doing it out of their own time, um, maybe with no help from anymore, anybody mm. else, which is supposed to be helping, but they don't get the help that they want. And they end up really stretching themselves. You know, stretching themselves also means forgetting that we need responsible owners for these dogs. So that's probably where it comes in to be more important. Yeah, because the yeah, groups involved. sometimes, so, I mean, I've been doing this since 2017 with the help of NPACS and SPCA only. And it's been, and it's been working more than fine. Mm. We've rehomed dogs to per- well, almost perfect homes. Um, I guess because we follow the protocol. So I have a form that I give out to our adopters to make sure and I do site visits, recce and then follow-ups and stuff. And um, while I say this with the best of intentions, not all organisations do a good job either. No. Because no, I've, had, I've had dogs from big-name animal welfare yeah. groups that have been dumped with us because they, number one, don't want to take it back. They're too busy to respond. Yep. So I'm, 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 I'm sitting on both sides of the swing here in mm. saying that the independent rehomers do not have to do this, number one. It's not our job, but we do it with our heart. The AWGs have to do it. It's their job. But maybe they don't do it well or, they, or there are some other reasons for it. But it is, we pick up a lot of stuff from, you know. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm not saying that only independent rescuers rehome poorly. I mean, I've worked with some animal welfare yeah. groups, which I just flat out refuse to work with now, yeah. because the rehoming process was so poor. Slipshot, very yeah. slipshot. Yeah. And eventually they ended up blaming the doctors exactly. or blaming the rehabilitation and trainers, saying that 
oh, the doctors aren't doing a good job or you guys aren't doing a good job. You've done this the same for the last three people we referred you to. Mm. But actually it's because they're rehoming a dog which is not suitable for the family that yeah. we're rehoming them to. And it's actually very dangerous. You know, I've seen some really bad bite incidents because of that before we've even had a chance to show up. You know, and it's, it's something that's very important. You've got to remember that these animals are indeed animals. You know, that they want to survive. They don't understand our world. So just because you've got an old uncle that, you know, has dementia and screaming at the top of his voice, the dog doesn't understand what's going on, so the dog reacts as they feel they need to. I, I, I have, um, in fact, I have two boys of my own, two Singapore specials, and one of them was taken from an animal welfare group. And when he started to show, show signs of aggression and stuff very early, and I went back to them, and they were like, get a trainer. So, if it was, because I know what I'm doing, after so many years, and of course, you know, coming into contact with, with um, uh, knowledgeable people like yourselves, I know what I need to do. But what if you got someone who, had, who was clueless? About what? Train? Train what? Take a, take a cane and train and whack and train? That's training too. I whack you, I, I train you. It's training too. But what we're trying to use is a certain mythology, right? Well, the most up-to-date. Exactly. Cognitive but would I know, as a person, if you tell me, go find trainer, would I know which trainer is like a good trainer? And would I know what is trainer? To be honest, that's one of the things that we are trying to explain with this podcast. Yeah. So I understand that dog training has been going on for hundreds of years. I understand that people have been using a method which seemingly worked. I also understand that cognitive science develops and changes. What I did five years ago is not the same thing I do now. I guarantee if you ask me in another five years if what I'm doing is the same, I guarantee it will be different again. What I'm not going to do it's used the same methods that were used 40 years ago. But I think that's what's happening. That's exactly what's because happening. Because a lot of my, my uh, friends, not just people that I hand dogs to, but friends, they say, oh, have you met this, this, and so-and-so? Have you seen this, so-and-so? I was like, what does he do? Oh, uh, he's taught my dog to sit. I said, I can do that for free. To, sit, to ask your dog to sit and take a paw? I can do that for free. Why did you have to pay him $100 for an hour? Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's what I think what we need to do for the awareness of this podcast or the ones going forward which you guys are doing is we need to tell people out there a trainer is not just a trainer. It doesn't mean that he has the designation trainer. That means he can train. Yeah, he can train a dog. I don't know. Depends. Like I, my, my boy, Paolo, he needs... Uh, so that's what I'm... I'll, I'm Fraser's coming to, you know, to, to have a look at Paolo at some point. Um, but we do need help. Like, and what kind of training? So some, some good things, some good points that Fraser actually gave me just out of, you know, out of the box was like, he needs to feel secure. Paolo needs to feel secure. Otherwise, he wants to bite, he'll want to react. So I've been going with the safety, safety, safety at the back of my head. And I tell you, it's worked. Uh, one very big example of something that just happened this morning was my machi. My machi is as a Malay cleaner. She cleans the condo and she's a lovely soul. She's not scared of him. He's huge. He's 40 kg. She wasn't even flinching at the sight of him, which other people would have flown far away. Hey, take the next leaf. <laughs> you know, that kind of crap. So I would, and she came and she was like, oh, so cute, your dogs, you know, and all that. She said in Malay, of course, we spoke in Malay. And then the first thing that came to my mind, safety. Put him, I put him behind me. Hmm. He went behind me. He didn't react, nothing whatsoever. But when Machi came a bit close and he went, and then he went hide again. So yeah. the, the, what Fraser gave me, that one word, safety, was training. 
it was training, training Samantha to train Paolo that safety is, is one of the critical feelings that I have to pass on to him. And this is the funniest thing, though, is what you're talking about is not actually training. It yeah, could be training exactly you. my point. It's, it's actually just behaviour. Yeah, behaviour. So we'll not go on about this too long. That's actually a good episode yeah. for a different podcast. I just want to just bring this up that, yeah, you know... But um, a lot of people get mixed up between dog training, dog rehabilitation, and behavioural mm-hmm. shaping. And a lot of people, even trainers, they say, oh, no, it's the same thing. Well, I'll tell you right now, if you think it's the same thing, you're doing something wrong. But, as we say, as, as good as it is to talk about yeah. that, let's just jump back onto the community dog. Yeah, so, Sam, how can the public help? Well, of course, I'm, I mean, it's very difficult because, you know, we, sometimes I do um, ask for help, like feeding, but the response is very poor. It's either very poor or people don't know what to do. H- how do I feed? And then they will ask me and then I will tell them and then they get scared because they heard 40 packets, they heard yep. rice, they heard mix, they heard, um, you know. So the whole, the whole process it's actually is very a, it's a very committed process. I will use the word committed because people have the heart to do it. But to stay in and to do it for the long haul. It's like, it's like going to the gym. It's, yeah, you want to become thin but you don't want to do the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Story you wanna of my you life. wanna yeah, you wanna see the dogs but you don't wanna put in the work? Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Nothing is so mm-hmm. easy. I so think... I've I've had public coming to ask for help and I've and I've given like of course donation is the, the fastest, the easiest. You know, whatever amount donated to us and then whenever I buy food, I usually tag the people who you know, I put a receipt there so that people know, oh, you know, yes, yes. I paid for that. I mean it's not a bad thing. People always want to know where their money is going. Especially when I'm not a full-fledged animal welfare group, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean that we don't do half as good. Some of us do a way better job than they do. Yeah. So it's not a... I don't think we see... Even an individual rescuer, independent rescuer, can do so much more work than an organisation with just one man. Yeah. So when we donate, I get it, that you want to see where your money is going to. So we are very... You know, we're clear very full-on... Yeah, we're very clear and transparent. Yeah. If you've donated, well, I'll, I'll attach a receipt and say, thank you, whoever and whoever, for your love for our community dogs. And then you see where your money's going. Right. I believe there's also a safety aspect to this. Could you elaborate more on that? Yeah. So I would say if you've never been around a community dog, please don't. Full stop. Because you're not just, it's not about you, you know, saying, oh, you know, I fed these dogs today. Give me a trophy. It's not about that. Um, It's about saying, because for me, on, on the contrary, when I feed I come in and say, oh my God, that's such a good job. Like I say to myself, you know, and I feel like so good about it. And it's, when I say about commitment, it's like I had my, because I do real estate. I had my D&D, which ended at 11.30 last Wednesday. I was decked in gold, sequin, tight dress <laughs> with a freaking very six inch red heels. I finished at 11.30 and I went all the way to the east, fed the dogs, 12.15, they'll be wondering, why are you coming at this hour? And it's my sleeping like time. And who the hell are you with these sequins? And it's like, I need sunglasses, you know? And then I scoot over 40 minutes later to the north. And I feel it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. And then my husband's like, what the hell are you doing? It's 1 o'clock. You have to work tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I'm just, I want to do this. I never say I need to. I say I want to do this. Yeah. So the commitment level is what I'm looking for. If you want to help, we're very happy to help. But if you're coming on board, stick with us for a while. Well, with that, Sam... I just want to thank you very much because I think that was great. But now we're at the stage where we're going to take some questions and answers okay. from people that have written into us. Okay. Um, for anybody else out there, if you want to ask questions, please do. 
comment on our posts on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or email us directly. But the first question of today came from somebody you might know. Why do you have to do it when there's so many other people in the country that could also do it? It's not about have, it's about wanting to do it. People want, people have to, if you tell people have to do it, then they, they feel that they have to do it. And then they'll come two weeks and then they'll disappear. And then they'll ghost me. So why do I want too many ghostings when I can do it consistently by myself? Because when I have random people coming to say they want to help, I have to ask them, can you please send me a picture? Can you please uh, let me know where there's any problems? And then I have to go and check later. Not that I don't trust the person, but I remember it's all about the dogs. It becomes more of a hassle than it, it is. It becomes double work for me. And then I, 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 I don't trust because I'm not sure whether the person knows exactly where to put, whether the person really put it there. And then it becomes an issue and then the person gets angry. What if you took a picture? You don't think I didn't, you think I didn't feed the dogs? And then it, get, it becomes tension. I don't mm. want that. I want just positive vibes all the way when it comes to the dogs. I don't want any negativity anywhere. Makes sense. Okay. Our next question comes from Fatima in Singapore as well. What do you do when you come across a street dog while you're out walking? So Jay, do you want to take this one? Yeah, well, the one thing that you shouldn't do, especially after listening to this whole podcast, is don't stare at them, don't suddenly stop. Just keep walking. And if you see someone else, if you see the person walking their dog, or if it's just a street dog, like completely without an owner and anything like that, don't try to engage, don't try to make contact with it whatsoever because they're more scared of you than you are of them. I am 100% sure of that. So don't be one of those people who say like, oh, you know what, I'm great with dogs. They'll, they'll warm up to me really fast. Yeah, the only thing that they'll warm up to is their mouth on your face. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry to say that, but it really annoys me when, when people, when I'm working with clients and then they have a reactive dog or a skittish dog or, or anything along those lines and then people just walk by and they stop and they stare whether they're afraid or they even even if they have good intentions it doesn't help them at all just leave them be and if the owner comes to you and, and tells you like oh you know what my dog's actually very friendly then you approach the dog and interact with it and our last question for today is from Melvina in Jakarta so her question is, do the dogs always turn up when you go out to feed them? And do you always go, even if it's like raining or really, really hot? Um, I'll answer that in two parts. So the, uh, first, the first answer, the dogs don't always turn up. Number one, they could have found food elsewhere in the day, during the day. They have, they, someone else could have just randomly fed them something really full. So they'll just be sleeping or something else. Because these places that I go to are not... Um, full-fledged residential houses. They are like foresty area, industrial parks and stuff like that. So they don't just sit there and wait unless they're hungry. So, so no is the answer to that part of the question. And rain or shine, yes. Come hell, wind, fire, I'm there. Every night. So my husband will tell me, but it's raining. I said, so? The dogs are hungry. They'll be waiting for my food. And these dogs to be, uh, you'll be surprised. Some of them will be waiting in the rain. They will be waiting for me in the rain. So when I come and, I, and it's raining and, I, and I'm there, I'm like, this is why I came. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, Sam, thank you very much for this. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure others will appreciate it as well. Yeah. 
So that's the end of this episode. But for anybody listening at home or wherever you're listening, if you guys have any questions at all, please don't hesitate to ask us either via comments on our posts or directly via email. All of that will be in the show notes. And indeed, if you have any topics that you think would be a really good one to bring up, then we'll definitely do that. And that brings me to this. Sam, we also know that you do rescuing of individual dogs and you rehome them and things like that. Yeah. A lot of these can be very difficult cases. I will ask you, if you're willing to, to come back on at some stage. Yep. Because I feel it's very important not just to talk about cases where the dogs get rehomed and they get happy rehabilitated. Endings. Not, not just the happy endings. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're not so happy. Yeah. And as much as that might be slightly tough to digest, I think that's something that we want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I think the public stage. needs to know we're creating some awareness on the, of the good and bad of this whole thing. Right? Absolutely. The work that we do. But, but yeah. with that, thank you very much. And I'd like to say something before we end. Oh, of course. Please be compassionate to our community animals, whether it's the cats, the dogs. If you see them, if you, if you can't do anything about it, don't hurt them. Don't be. Leave them alone. You know what I mean? Because in Singapore... We are we considered quite good, but in like countries like India and all, you will see street dogs being whacked to death and things mm-hmm. like that. It's very very heartbreaking. I've seen it happen before because I volunteer with um, the soy dog um, in Phuket and mm-hmm. the Bali Association. When I go to Bali, I volunteer with them for the street dogs, and I've seen horrible cases. I I cry, and so if you do see the animals in the streets, like we don't have many animal lovers. Some of us are not animal lovers. Okay, so just walk on. I think that's a perfect place to end, Sam. But before we do go, if people want to follow your Facebook page, if people want to find you, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to help, if they want to donate, how do they do that? Please go to my Facebook page. You will just literally key in welfare for our... You will see a Singapore flag before the word community dogs, just to say that I'm doing welfare for our Singapore community dogs. But I just didn't want the word Singapore there. The flag looked prettier. So welfare for community dogs. You can DM me on Facebook. Um, I'm also present on Instagram, same thing. Um, Feeling which, Samantha, my name is Samantha. So you'll be able to find me anyway if you, they are affiliated. DM me. And what we'll also do is we'll put all of that yeah. detail into the show notes for anybody that wants to. Okay. It's been a pleasure, Fraser. Absolutely, you too. Thank you, guys. <laughs>